Hello to another issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Will Smith. Will, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers? Yeah, I am. Um, wow, I'm. I am a, a podcaster and just a general variety nerd. I, I um, you may know me from such sites as Tested.com. I was the editor in chief of Maximum PC for a long time. Uh, I, I moved away from journalism a few years ago and started a VR company. And uh, these days, during the day, I, I, um, I do communications and help with the game at Stray Bombay. And then at night, I podcast and stream and do all sorts of other stuff. So I'm, 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 it turns out I'm pretty busy these days. I don't think as busy as you, Kevin, but, but I, I can, I can have aspirations. Yes. Well, it's really fantastic to have you join us. Thank you for taking time from your busy day. And one of the things I know from your heritage is that you are interested in uh, cool tools. And so I'm really looking forward to um, some of the favorite tools you have these days. Um, what would be um, sort of uh, the first item on your list? So the 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 number one on my list this time is it's kind of an expensive one, um, but it's something that I found much more useful now that I have it and have it set up in my garage than I ever expected would be when I when I was b before I had it, uh, and and that's a, a Glowforge. Uh, so the Glowforge, if, for people who don't know, is a they bill it as a desktop 3D laser printer, but but it's a laser cutter with some with some uh, I would say pretty convenient software. Uh, that and it turns out once you um, once you get good, once you have a laser cutter, everything looks like a project that can be solved with a laser cutter, it turns out. Uh -huh. um, so everything from like cases for little computers that I have around the house or, or, or uh, you know, photo frames, uh, lanterns, I've made a ton of uh, even like papercraft stuff. So like when I have a nine year old daughter, when when her teacher needs help cutting out a bunch of letters when she was in kindergarten, needed help cutting out a bunch of you know, letters out of eight, 11, eight by 11 paper. I just did them on the laser and it took like 10 minutes. I cut them all out. I didn't have to do it with scissors. It was, it was right. delightful. So, so um, give us a sense of how big desktop means in this case. Um, okay. So if you're familiar with like a traditional laser cutter, like a Trotec or a, or a, no, let's say we're not familiar with, we have no idea. Perfect. So it's about the size. It's about, uh, let's say four feet by three feet uh, by okay. about a foot. It's pretty big. It's a tabletop size, but it's not like you, you don't have to have a pallet, a forklift come in with a pallet to install it. Okay. It's something that two people can lift, put in place. Um, you do need to vent it outside because if you're if you're if you're lasering acrylic or even plywood, you're going to generate smoke that you don't want to have inside your building. I think that they sell a filter that you can hook up to it if you don't if you don't have an exterior window or something like that. I just knocked a hole inside of the garage and put a dryer vent on it, which is which okay. has actually worked really well. One of the things that Glow Forge is kind of famous for is its software and interface, but it also is a little bit kind of like Macintosh in the sense it's more proprietary rather than open source. And mm -hmm. so that there's some constraints built into there. Um, have you found that to be onerous or just something you're worth tolerating for or that there's some benefit to that? So it's a little bit of both. Um, part of it is that, so they, they do some software tricks that are really clever. Like you can take a quarter inch, you know, a standard Sharpie and write on your surface of whatever material you want to cut and put it in there and say, hey, just trace the trace the black line. And it'll cut out the black line, which is like, it means that my nine-year-old daughter has been using the Glowforge for four years now, right? Um, 
at the end of the day, if I'm building, if I'm building something that requires precision, then I can load it up in Fusion 360 or, you know, uh, SketchUp or whatever my CAD program of choice is and generate SVGs that the software will just read and scale appropriate, you know, scale to the scale that I put in the file. And I can build something that has CAD precision. It's they, they don't they don't oversimplify it. Um, but, the, but they're the, also not requiring that you use their software to generate it. You can take anything, as you said, from Fusion or or Tinkercad, maybe, or I don't know, yeah. SketchUp, and then output it with a standard file, and it'll accept that. Yeah, if you, if you can export SVGs, you can you can pretty much use the use that in the Glowforge. Uh, there, as always. Like every tool has some some idiosyncrasies that you find over use over a long period of use. There's there's you know it's things like hey if you want to have things that overlap then you have to do them on different layers or if you want to etch some things and cut some things then you t- do them in a different color in the SVG or something like that. But but as a whole you know I, I've built um the the little the little the mo- my mo- most recent project for that uh, the little console that uh, Panic made, the makers of fine Macintosh software for the last 20 years. They made a little handheld, like one, they called a one bit console. It has a little crank on the side and it's basically like a Game Boy size thing. And I made just a little clear acrylic case that magnets onto the front of that. Uh, and and it, it, it took me like a couple hours. I scanned the, scanned the play date. So I used that as the model, traced it in Photoshop, generated the SVGs, and I, I I cut it on the laser and and glued it together with some acrylic cement, put some magnets in there to hold it in place, and like it was it was a really fun, dead simple little project that would have been impossible with traditional tools. I know that uh, laser cutters at that scale are really good at cutting acrylic and and plastic. Um, what's the sort of thickest wood, like a piece of plywood, that you can actually cut? So um, quarter inch is kind of the high end is, is the thickest I've done. I know that there are some ways that you can register. You can put registration marks on both sides of the plywood so that it, you can flip it and cut it from the other side. I haven't actually bothered with that because the stuff that I'm doing, it's usually easier to just cut two quarter inch pieces and then uh, glue them back together and, and post. Uh, in in reality, the stuff that I do most often eighth inch is what is the place that I work for plywood and acrylic. Um, and then, like the thing that they don't talk about is paper is pretty pretty easy to use. You need to you need to use magnets to hold it onto the surface so it doesn't blow around because there's a lot of air moving inside the cutter. But like a, a nice piece of cardstock or something, you can you can both etch and cut at the same time. And like I've made a bunch of like cards for with these gorgeous intricate cutouts on them uh for for gifts for people stuff like that can you cut like vinyl like a like a cricket cutter cut vinyl can you cut vinyl in it so vinyl is usually a no because uh anything with chlorine is anything that exudes chlorine gas when you burn it will etch the mirrors Um, Um, i think i think the test generally is light it on fire if it burns green that's going to be a no uh, also, there's there's extensive threads in the Glowforge forum and laser cutter forums around the around the internet that are like, hey, these materials are a bad idea. Mm, um, but like anything natural is safe: wood, leather, paper, uh, stuff like that. Acrylic uh, uh, is usually good, um, and uh, and and that's it. Like even metal and glass, I've done I've etched glass coasters with it before. Uh, you have to use some sort of a coolant on it or else the glass cracks. But you, in reality, all that means is you put a really thin layer of Dawn right. dish detergent on top and you can cut right through the Dawn. It works great. While you were in the mode when you were shopping around for uh, a laser cutter and considering the um, Glowforge, did you seriously consider alternatives? Because there are some Chinese-made 
um, laser cutters that have a lot more power for the same amount of money, they're not as easy to use. What was for you the selling point? So uh, full disclosure, the founder of Glowforge is a, is a, is a friend. So, um, uh, uh, but, but mainly it was the, my experience with, you know, working where I did it tested, knowing folks who have had it. Mm-hmm. Like prior to the Glowforge, the choice in a sub $3,000 laser cutter was get a cheap Chinese laser and hope that the tube holds out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the experience that friends had had with, with those very lasers was, Hey, you know, you're, you're going to spend a lot more time on this than maybe you want for an actual, for, especially for my kind of use where I use it once or twice a month, probably, you know, it's not something I'm using every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I made the choice when, when they started, when they started shipping Glowforges that I, I wanted to get the more reliable, uh, you know, hopefully more reliable. And it has turned out to be quite reliable um, device rather than, rather than throw the dice on the thing that may or may not work when I turned it on. And I, I don't recall, but I think the list price is around three thousand or something. I think, yeah, I think I bought it for. I think when I when you when they did their crowdfund in the beginning, you could get them for twenty five hundred bucks. I think they're three thousand dollars, although they do occasionally run sales, I believe. Okay. Um, and then right. there's a whole other the whole other thing is that they do these they do proof what they call proof grade materials where you can buy the materials from them and like the printer reads a barcode and yeah. knows what the settings are, which is convenient when you're starting out. Yeah. Okay, well, fantastic. It's a great suggestion. Thanks. Well, um, so uh, number two, what's what's second on your list? N- number two. So I have been, I think you and I have talked about this before, but I've been a home automation enthusiast since before three generations ago when it was really, really bad uh, and and kind of janky, but, but novel. Um, I built last year a home assistant machine that runs on a, on a Raspberry Pi that's literally stuck up on the wall in my garage. Uh, Home Assistant, if you don't know, is an open source project that is um, is 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 run by this. It's it's I think the widest contributed to open source project I'm aware of. Wow! It's, they 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 built a pl- so the thing the reason Home Assistant is exciting is they built this plugin architecture. It all runs using Docker on Linux, and uh, each of the plugins basically is a small Docker plugin that they that that uh, individuals can contribute to. So if you have some weird piece of hardware that you want to support or weird API that you want to support, you build your plugin and then it just slots in and it shows up in the in the in the repository. Anybody can download it. Uh, it's it's really really well done, and they've had they've kind of crossed the threshold in the last year where it's become better than any of the commercial alternatives, um, both in terms of uh, breadth of support in terms of hardware and the complexity of things you of automations you can do with it. Hmm. It all. Oh, go ahead. Well, um, the complexities is not usually a problem. It's usually how simple, how simple can you get it? That's the real hurdle for most people trying to start off on this. Well, so having started with wink and smart things and all sorts of different commercial products over the years, the, the, the place that I always hit hit uh, with those was that, you'd eventually reach a point where you wanted to automate something based on some conditionals. And that's where the commercial products break down because they do want to make it simple for, for normal humans. Uh, the home, home assistant team has built, I would say a pretty good interface that lets you do conditionals. And if you want to get real complicated, you can even go in and write Python code or whatever to describe the situations that, that you, that you right. run, but, but their GUI, their GUI is, is I think good enough for, for most people. So what are five, functions in your household that you are sort of have automated 
Oh, so um, well, this meeting was on our calendar to to record this podcast today, and right. when when the when the time came, the the screen behind me and the lights in the office turned on, okay, so that I was ready to go. Right, um, when you walk into the bedroom, the lights turn on if it's between such and such time, you know, times when you want to. So if I go to if I if if I walk into the bedroom at eleven o'clock when my wife's already asleep, it doesn't turn the lights on then. But if I come in at six o'clock when it's dusk and you know we live in right, valleys right, right. in Northern California, you know you want to have a little bit more light in the in the early evening. Okay. Um, and another one. Oh, uh, when I pull into the driveway at night, the front door lights turn on automatically. If it's me, if it's somebody else, it doesn't. So that's I, I like that one too. So is that a little fob in your car that's recognizing, or is it reading the plate, or what? It's uh, it's using the location in the phone, so it's all tied to location in the phone. Um, my wife, daughter, and I all uh, have devices that tell the machine basically where we are, and it it ends up being, uh, like I said, it's it's one of those things that when I started doing it, I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. Why am I spending all this time on this? And then when we go visit someone someplace else, then you're like, oh, it is really nice not to ever have to turn on or off any lights. And when we travel, the house behaves just the same as when, you know, so nobody, people can't tell that we're not here and stuff like that. Right, it's, right, right. Okay. It's pretty nice. And so if someone wanted to get started in this, mm-hmm. um, uh, what is, what, what's the first two steps? So the first step is grab a Raspberry Pi. I think, uh, I think they generally recommend a Pi 3 or newer is the recommendation. So that's, a, I, I believe, a 30 or 40. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I have a box of them over here that I just kind of keep around for projects. But they're, it's, they're, they start around $40. Um, and uh, then put, put a special version of Linux uh, on there. That, so they have a pre-built version of Linux that has Home Assistant already running on it. You install that on the card, boot up, answer a few questions, plug it into your network. Uh, it, it will search the network and see what stuff you have on the network. So if you have, say, an Apple TV or a Google Home or or, uh, or things like that, it'll it'll detect Alexa. them and say, hey, we need credentials to do this. Uh, but then once you get started, because it all runs on Docker, right. there's this whole other ecosystem of things you can run on it, like my VPN that lets me access stuff inside my home from outside the, in the real world mm-hmm. runs on, on home assistant. Now um, you, you can run game servers. If your kids right, want right. to play Minecraft or whatever, you can run a Minecraft server on there. It's, 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 does it's, it integrate with something like Alexa for a voice input? It it can um, depending on which voice assistant you want to use. The complexity is higher or lower. Um, Google is the most complicated for the Google assistant stuff. Uh, Alexa is pretty straightforward. Siri on iOS devices is pretty straightforward. Um, and and if you, uh, they actually also offer a service that supports the Home Assistant project. And it, it's the way they generate revenue, because it's always important to know how your open source projects are making money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they generate revenue is by charging $5 a month to kind of streamline the, the setup for those voice assistants. Okay. Um, and and provide a um, a endpoint that isn't doesn't require you doing dynamic dns or something like that to get to your and do you find yourself using the voice assistant very much the voice assistant is probably the number one way we interact with the with the lights in the house yeah yeah because there's always the problem with automation stuff is there's always edges you always hit edges where you need the light on it doesn't think you need the light on and that's where the voice is great you know when i had a baby and i was trying to carrying a wet baby from the bathroom and i could say hey turn on the lights in here and it it flips right right well wonderful that's great Fantastic suggestion. Home assistant. Is that home assistant? I think it's, um, I think the URL for that, that's the, the software is free because it's open source. We'll, we'll, we'll have the links in the show notes, but home Perfect. assistant is the software um, system. 
Okay. Well, fantastic. So, uh, you're on a roll for how about number three? The, so the third one, I actually can I can show and tell here. I I bought this one the other day. I've looked at them for ages, and I kind of thought they were goofy. Um, but it's it's a reusable. It's like reusable canned air. It's a blower. It's a blower for you know we all have we are, we're constantly shedding. We have keyboards. We have computers. Everything's filled with dust everywhere. I don't have central air because I live in Northern California. We don't need it. So so my house is eternally dusty, and. This thing is like a little tornado in a can, and I can use it to blow out the keyboard. I can use it to blow out the fans inside the computer. I don't have to worry about static electricity because it's it's all nicely grounded inside. And it costs what uh, basically a year's supply of canned air does in my house without blasting a bunch of garbage into the air. So mm-hmm. it's it's a not super complicated, Kevin, this one. Right. <laughs> I guess the next evolution would be a cordless version of it. So- I literally looked at the cordless version. I was like, I don't think I want to pay another $40 for the cordless version. I'm, well, there is, so there is a cordless version. You, you can. So this is a category that there are a lot of companies in Southeast Asia that just make basically the same thing rebadged. And right. this model, this, the thing that it comes in this casing was available from five or six vendors. There also appeared to be a cordless version of it that I didn't, yeah. I didn't pony up the extra 30 bucks for or 40 yeah. bucks for. Um, yeah. So, so, um, and, and this is, uh, uh, what's the word of what? Is it controllable? Is it just one setting, or do you have a little bit of a of a, a way to manage how forceful it is? It's straight. It's like a blender. It's zero to sixty. Just, <laughs> it's either on or it's off. Okay. Um, it, it's it, the the thing I will say is, uh, you have to be careful. So there's two things people like if you dust out the inside of a desktop pc or something you shouldn't use a vacuum cleaner for that because that creates a lot of static electricity and you'll zap your components and bad things happen as a result. You also need to make sure that you block the fans from spinning when you're using this because the the electric motors and the fans can serve as generators and will backflow electricity into your computers or or whatever devices that have fans. Um, but it, it's a it's a really nifty little like mm-hmm. like I I have it's it's very satisfying. I set the vacuum cleaner up a little bit away from it and blast the dust straight from the machine into oh, the vacuum cleaner. And yeah. so um, fill me in on why air moving from that is not static whereas air moving into and the vacuum is static what, what what how does that work it has to do with the way the um a lot of the vacuum cleaners have belts the modern like your modern dyson or something like that is not going to have a problem is my understanding but when you when you have a rubber belt moving that's that's working okay. the vacuum it can it can generate a static charge on the vacuum itself and if it's a metal tube to the end, then uh-huh. then you can you can. Blast so it's it. actually not the air moving; it's actually the belt moving through the air. I it's see. the mechanism of the vacuum cleaner, is my understanding. But it, I think it's less of a problem now that we are all using, you know, a, a, a bagless vacuum. Yeah, I, I'm still careful. Okay, um, and what, does that have a name, um, or a? Do you recommend one or the other, or is there? You just search. What do you search for? So I went to Amazon on this one, and I looked for the one that had the most positive reviews. Right, and, this, and what's uh, it called though? Would you, what's the what's the category? This one is the Sinshine Compressed Air 3.0 Multi-Use Electronic Electric Air Duster for Cleaning Dust, Hairs, Crumbs, Scraps for Laptops and Computers. That's the, that's the name of it. <laughs> I think they were putting a lot of keywords in the name, Kevin. Yeah, it's a SEO name. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's a, it's kind of a electric compressed air. Electric it? compressed air is what yeah, I would yeah. say is the category. Okay. Um, this one had a bunch of different tips. It has like a wide tip and a really compressed nozzle tip that gives you like a a huge 
it's a little scary. Uh, I'll be honest. I blew stuff off my desk the first time I fired it up. <laughs> um, but if you get in there with a little, like a, like a, like a, like a makeup brush and, and that you'll knock all the crumbs out of your keyboard and it won't look gross anymore. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Fantastic. Um, okay. So your fourth tool, Will. The fourth tool I didn't bring in here cause it weighs 23 pounds. Um, it is, uh, it is a, a baking steel, steel griddle that I have in my, in my, on my kitchen. Steel griddle and steel again as, as versus cast iron, usually griddles or cast iron because they could be seasoned. What's the advantage here? The benefit is the surface is really, really smooth. So you know how cast iron is often porous, especially modern cast iron. You, you can get, you can get a, uh, an older, you know, pre lodge style cast iron pan. That's an antique now. And I think people are actually making them new again, where they, where they machine mill the surfaces to, to smooth them out. Um, but the benefit of this is there's two things. There's mass. So it's a, it's like a, it's a quarter of inch thick, uh, sorry, three eighths of an inch thick. It's uh-huh. and it weighs uh, 23 pounds. <laughs> Uh, so it takes a long time to heat up, but that means it has, a, when you put your food on there, it has a lot of energy inside the metal. And because it's metal, it transfers that heat very quickly and it's very smooth. So like frying an egg is like 25 seconds on one side and I flip it for as fast as I can flip it and take it off maybe two or right. three seconds. Right. Um, and then you get a perfectly fried egg every single time. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it still has a little bit of a seasoning when I, when you, when I got it, it was, you know, shiny silver metal over time the top has become kind of brown brown and is starting right. to blacken and yeah but i use it four times a week probably for and, and what's the general dimensions is the fitting over two burners on on typical stove so the one they come in multiple sizes there's a single burner size there's a four burner size there's a the one that i have is i think they call it the skinny griddle and it's 20 inches by 11 and a half inches so it's like yeah eh, you know it should fit over two burners then yeah, it 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 lives really nicely on the griddle burner in the middle of my in the middle of my range. Right, right. right. Um, and it takes like like full disclosure, it it requires a little planning. Usually, I I get up and I turn the coffee maker on and I turn the griddle on and I let it warm up for fifteen or twenty minutes, so it's at four hundred or four hundred and fifty degrees. Uh, it's it's look, it's an excuse to use my infrared thermometer too. Being <laughs> honest. Um, yeah. Uh, so it sounds. It's, it, yeah, you have that kind of. Um, diner uh you know surface where they can get hash browns pancakes the whole thing breakfast as well as i guess if you're doing meats um it, it it'll fit six pancakes no problem uh right. i can do eggs for the whole family i can do i've done a side of bacon on it although that makes a pretty enormous mess it, it has a grease channel but it's still just it's a lot of bacon fat around right, right, right. yeah um well and and what does that run approximately it's it's a it's not inexpensive it is a 200 uh 200 retail i think and uh-huh. um uh, is, there, is there a name or a make um associated with this one so this is the baking steel brand skinny griddle is this one okay um yeah and and they they these this company baking steel uh started out making pizza steels so you can put a you can put the steel in your oven and uh, like you would have a pizza stone or something like that and the benefit again is that you can heat it up way in advance and right. transfer a lot of heat very quickly to get to get your pizza. W- and when you say baking, it's baking, not bacon. Baking, yes, baking. <laughs> baking. Yes. Okay. Um, the baking steel. I wonder if you could use it for pizza. If you, so you can, to. yeah. The so the backside is smooth, and they specifically say, hey, if you put it in the oven, you can totally use this for pizza, which I, I have done. 
Uh, right. They'd be like personal, you know, 11 yeah. inches wide is like a sure. kind of personal pie. A long one. Um, well, that's really great. Um, thanks the, for four fabulous um, tools that we didn't really know about. Well, we heard about Glowforge before, but those other three were really new to us. Thank you. Um, oh, awesome. So, so we'll, in, in the remaining minutes, to tell us what you're kind of really passionate about these days or a project that you're working on, something you want to share with, with our audience. Yeah. Um, well, the, I mean, the big, the, I've been podcasting, um, I've been doing a podcast with my co-host Brad Shoemaker called uh, the Brad Will Made a Tech Pod for uh, three-ish years now. Uh, it's a single issue, single topic podcast usually where we take something that's not necessarily ripped from the headlines. It's not a news show or anything like that, but we take a single topic that's complicated. Like, like what are the different, you know, how does Bluetooth work? What are the different, what are the different uh, you know, wh- why does sometimes when I connect my to my car, the the music sounds great, and why does it sometimes sound like it's coming through a 1930s telephone? And we break down all the different protocols and complexities of these technological topics. Um, we've talked about everything from taking photographs on Mars with one of the operators of of the Curiosity mm-hmm. uh, hazard cams at JPL to you know, food technology and a, and a bunch of other things. And then uh, earlier this year, we actually launched a, our first spinoff show from that called the FOSPOD, which is about open source projects. Um, the, 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 we realized, you know, as we were looking at our computers, I'm using OBS and audacity and, you know, a, a dozen different open source projects on any given day. And a lot of these projects that have been going, especially the ones that have been going for a long time have quietly supplanted the commercial projects as being the, the market leaders in terms of features and, and, and things like that. And we thought there was an interesting opportunity to talk about, to you know, to talk to those creators and and talk to the people who maintain those projects and find out find out what it's actually like to run a project like Home Assistant or OBS or Audacity, um, and we've done I think fifteen. We just recorded the fifteenth episode of that this morning. So oh, is um, it a monthly, a weekly? It's it's every other week. So every other week, biweekly and, or semi monthly. I can't remember. And and say the name again. Uh, that's the Foss Pod, uh, and, and both of them are available. How do you spell that uh, F O S S Pod P O D. And F-O-S-S means what? Free and open source software. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and they're both available at content.town. You can find one at techpod.content.town and the other at fosspod.content.town. And the, so tech, tech um, is the one that you have been doing for, and is that a weekly as well? or also- That's a weekly. Yes. So that, that's a weekly. We have the wonderful community of people who've listened, listened to it uh, and, and uh, participate in our discord. And we, like, I, I, I've, I think I've said this, uh, the the Discord community that sprung up around that podcast is probably my favorite community we've we've I've ever participated in. I, I go into the Discord, I learn something new every day. People are talking about everything from you know writing open source software to uh, building bicycles from by hand and and everything kind of in between. And it, it's a it's a delightful group of of people with really disparate interests and 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 skills. So a lot of people these days have um, problems with moderation in groups. Why is this group different? What, what have you done to keep it civil and so positive? We charge for access, it turns out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when people have put money in, then they turn, it turns out they, they're, I mean, okay, first off, I'm a little older these days, Kevin. So I think that the audience that comes and listens to the stuff that I that I like to make are are naturally maybe a little little older and a little less likely to argue on the internet. 
Um, but but no, like you can't. I can't overemphasize the value of charging for access because it turns out once people put a couple of bucks, even if it's just two bucks a month, people people tend to like you know they've invested something and they're, thus they're more invested in the community. So so so, um, your podcast is free though, but you're you're just charging for the Discord access. Is that what it is? That's it. the The podcast is free. You know, as many podcasts have done over the years, we've we built a Patreon. Um, and and when you contribute to the Patreon, you either get access to the Discord at the basic level. There's an additional monthly podcast that we do just for patrons, where we kind of like, you know, just kind of chat about what we're working on and what's what's right, going right. on. Um, but the main podcasts are always free. So, you know, Cool Tools has been going on for <laughs> almost uh, 20 years now, and um, we, we've often had this idea proposed of doing something like a Discord, but. Um, the challenge for me is that it would require my time. I found that those kinds of things don't work unless the sort of hosts are actively involved. So you say you look forward in, to participating, which is really fantastic, but how much time do you actually wind up having to um, to invest into those conversations? Um, so in, in the beginning, there was probably a fair amount um, you know, because because part of it is that you want to establish kind of the traditions of the community, right? right. Like Culture. when yeah, when somebody new joins and everybody puts some wavy emotes on their on their on the welcome message and engages them in conversation. But but that now it's become over the you know last two years that the that the Discord's been live, it's become a place that I literally I come for entertainment and and to learn something now. So you you don't have to kind of keep you're not playing the party host where you've got to keep people are entertained and, and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I check in on the discord multiple times a day. And if I feel like people aren't conversing, then maybe I'll give a little gentle nudge, but, mm -hmm. but for the most part, you know, we, we, we don't really have moderators. We haven't really needed, needed moderators because people, like I said, have been mm -hmm. remarkably well-behaved. Um, the, we do have uh, discords, discord has this idea of threads, where you can kind of spin off a conversation into a into a semi-private area and and we empowered some of the community members who were were interested in helping with that to to give them that power so it didn't just devolve into chaos um but but like that's as close as we have to moderators those those folks kind of are like shepherds of the conversation more than more than your traditional you know forum moderator from the from the 90s and are you going to run FOSS in the same manner where it's a free podcast and they'll have a paid access to the discord well so the FOSPod was is sponsored by google's open source department uh, mm -hmm. group after we had one of one of the folks from their team on they were like hey we would like you to do this for for open source software and, and showcase like showcase cool consumer stuff so that so that people are excited about making open source okay. software um so currently we we don't have them hooked into the discord we're we're, we're trying to figure out how to integrate those communities because right. I, I don't want to build two separate communities. I want to build one inclusive community. We have to figure out a way to do that. That's egalitarian and works for everyone. Did you say two separate, you mean two separate FOSS communities? I d well, I didn't want to build a discord for the tech pod and then a discord for the oh, FOSS oh, pod. Actually, I want to, you, you meant uh, two in the podcasts. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. 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 I want to, I want to, I want to have both of those. We, we want to have both of those communities feed into each other. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that, you know, we all become better as a result. Right. Okay. Well, that's fabulous um, uh, and inspirational too. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with what you've done. Um, and I know that you were working for a very long time in the VR space. Do, were you also running um, a podcast and um, a, a Discord on that as well? 
So we started the we started the podcast. We started the tech pod in 2019 um, as as the VR business was kind of starting to take off. Uh, mm-hmm. We were doing uh, we were generating animate. We, we 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 built a software tool that let people do live uh, 2D and 3D animation using VR hardware. Uh, and we were doing a lot of like re- recorded live in front of a studio audience cartoons, which traditionally pretty impossible to do. It's right. hard on the animators wrists. Right. Um, we uh, the pandemic started in 2020. And unfortunately, the live studio audience part of that business kind of kind of uh, it became what what was a strength to became a detriment. So uh, we we shut that down for the most part in 2020. And um, it's kind of in hibernation now. I don't know. We're, 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 we've got to decide what happens to it at this point. But okay. there was no podcast with the with the VR business. All right. OK, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering if you also had another discord on that. Um, no, no, that's too many discords, <laughs> two discords, two, maybe three at the outside. <laughs> that's your rule of life. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Like, it, well, I mean, so discord's a weird thing. I, like I'm, I'm old enough that I, re- I grew up on message boards. So like my early time on the internet was on Usenet and, and IRC. And then, and then we migrated to message boards and, you know, every time we've migrated, the internet got kind of smaller and smaller and smaller. And I, I'm, I'm really of mixed like I, like I have mixed feelings about discord because it's, it's, it's a totally closed ecosystem. You can't like Google doesn't see the conversations that happen on discord. They're not searchable. And it's, but at the same time, that privacy makes me feel much more comfortable sharing, you know, in, in my public persona because everybody knows who I am and I can, mm-hmm. I can engage in a different way in the private space than I would maybe if it was on Twitter or, or, or Usenet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've I just heard recently that there was some, Kind of fairly technical communities were moving off of Slack onto Discord. Um, I I have startup friends who are using Discord instead of Slack because their screen sharing and and video right. chats are are better. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so so Discord is another tool, by the way, maybe the fifth cool tool here. So, <laughs> uh, um, well, thank you, Will. This has really been great. Um, it's really great to catch up with you. Um, it's been a while since we chatted, and um, thank you for sharing your cool tools. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. And and uh, I, can't, I can't talk to you soon, I hope. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. 
But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website um, and they are also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by patron supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan. And um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. We are grateful for all our Patreon supporters. And this week's include Randy Fisher, Bob K, Hans Reisbeck, Michael Douglas, Andrew Nepley, Chris Wurstuk, Dan O'Brien, Michael Jones, Chris Wayland, and Pamela Cooley. We give thanks to each of you and appreciate your support. Thank you.